You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Today's episode is brought to you by the Your Brain on Facts book. Want the facts without my voice? Get the Your Brain on Facts book. But if you want my voice without the facts, I am available for voiceover work, and I offer a half-off rate for my listeners. Email me at moxie at yourbrainonfacts.com. From a lone example of a trilobite in Hunan, China, called Han Solo, to a butterfly pea flower reminiscent of a Georgia O'Keeffe painting called Clitoria ternatia, the naming of species offers almost as much in the way of entertainment as it does scientific classification. The official rules for naming species, set down by the International Commission on Zoological Nomenclature, are surprisingly simple. The name must be spelled with the Latin alphabet and must not be overtly offensive. And that's pretty much it. My name's Moxie, and this is your Brain on Facts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Most of us know that the animals we call by a single name, such as a horse, actually have a two-part name, in that case Equus Calabus. In contrast to astronomical bodies like stars, asteroids, and planets, which are under strict naming conventions overseen by committees, there's almost unfettered freedom when it comes to zoological nomenclature. The name can even be a nonsense string of arbitrary letters. While there is a wealth of name fascination to report on, from plants to drugs to telescopes, we're going to confine ourselves today to the animal kingdom. For as long as we have had records, and probably longer, Mankind has sought to classify the world around us in an effort to begin to understand it. This is called taxonomy, the study of the general principles of scientific classification from the Greek words for order or arrangement and science. Three centuries before the Common Era, Aristotle grouped animals first by similarities, like where they lived, and then hierarchically, with humans naturally at the top. Not every animal fit well into this system, though. Ducks posed a particular problem, as they had the bothersome habit of living on water, on land, and spending time in the air. It would be 1,800 years before another natural philosopher, as scientists were called then, would try their hand, such as Andre Cesalpino, an Italian physician and botanist who sorted plants by the structure of their fruits and seeds. The first scientist to use a binomial, or two-name system, that we would recognize was Swiss botanist Gaspard Boin, who grouped some 6,000 plants by genus and species in 1623. There were several inconsistent and sometimes conflicting systems of classification already in use when Carl Linnaeus wrote his influential Systema Naturae in 1735 laying down the system we use to this day. Linnaeus was the first taxonomist to list humans as a primate, but he also originally classified whales as fish. 
All living things were sorted into kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, and species. Many of us memorized that in middle school by way of a mnemonic like King Philip came over from Great Spain. A house cat, for example, is kingdom animalia, phylum chordata, meaning it has spinal cord, class mammalia, order canivora, family felidae, genus felis, and species catus. A lion diverges at the genus Pantera, which awesomely means reaper of all, and species Leo, so the scientific name for a lion is Pantera Leo. This system can be visualized as an enormous branching tree, with its trunk very broad and its branches increasingly specific. We still name some animals in accordance with their appearance, with a little poetic license thrown in for good measure. The tiniest and most pastel of the armored mammals was christened the Pink Fairy Armadillo. A hand-sized lizard with a gift for mimesis camouflage was given the fairly metal moniker Satanic Leaftail Gecko. Its actual religious beliefs remain a mystery. As advertised, the star-nosed mole has a burst of delicate sensory tendrils on the tip of its snout. Ossisax mucaflorus is an unappealing worm who lives off the bones of dead whales, which would explain its name bone-eating snot flower. A bacterium that was taken to the International Space Station and exposed to cosmic radiation earned the Latin moniker for Traveler of the Void. China boasts a salamander species that can grow to a whopping 1.8 meters, or nearly 6 feet long. It goes by the name Hellbender, and this reporter, for one, will not argue with it. And then there is the Internet's favorite ichthys, the blobfish. Removed from water, a blobfish cannot maintain its body shape and collapses into a rather dour-looking puddle. Even with the Linnaeus taxonomy in place, we call some animals things that they simply aren't. We all know that a seahorse is not a horse, and most of us know that koalas are not bears. But did you know that a jackrabbit is not a rabbit? But a hare? That may seem like a nitpicky distinction to the layperson, but hares tend to live alone and don't live in burrows, and their young are born fully sighted with coats of fur. Both animals come from the Leporidae family, but part ways when they get to genus. Jackrabbits get their name from having exceptionally long ears, like a jackass. Dorsal finless, freshwater dwelling electric eels are actually knife fish which actually sounds cooler, arguably. If you've ever found yourself watching Go Diego Go after your child has already left the room, we've all done it, you've probably seen the long-legged maned wolf. It should come as no surprise that this committee-assembled-looking animal is not of the genus Canis, like gray wolves, jackals, and even domestic dogs, but has the genus Chrysocyon all to itself. Red pandas are pandas, but giant pandas are not. Take as much time as you need with that. The adorable raccoon-like Erulus fulgens were the first to be called panda, which is believed to derive from the Nepali word panya. When the black and white 
Aerolipoda melanoleuca were discovered later, it was assumed that the two species were related, so they were dubbed giant pandas. They are all from the family Ursidae, which includes all bears, but the giant panda is in fact the only living species in its genus. What we call a buffalo here in North America is actually a bison by genus, whereas the Cape buffalo of Africa and the water buffalo of Asia aren't even in the same genus as each other, leaving common ground after their family designation of bovidae. There were also bison, now extinct, native to Europe, and they caused science much consternation when the development of mitochondrial DNA testing, that being the DNA passed down the maternal line, showed that the European bison were not in fact related to the steppe bison of Eurasia as previously thought. The answer was finally revealed with the discovery of a hybrid species. They dubbed it the Higgs bison. Never let it be said that scientists don't have a sense of humor. Slime mold is the primary food for a beetle discovered in 2004, so their genus was labeled jelly. The five new species are jelly bean, jelly belly, jelly donut, jellyfish, and jelly roll. Beetles will come up a lot as they represent as much as 20% of all named animals. And there is no shortage of puns. Take, for example, the species of petalid beetle, Eurogenius. Or what about beetles from the agrogenus, named agrophobia and aggravation? Or the wasp whose genus and species are, here's looking at you. Tiny mollusks called Itibitium, a parrot called Vini vidivici, the water beetle E2 brutus, and the cyphrid fly Omia omaya, or the Pacific Island snail Ba humbuggy. There's the genus of mythicomiid fly Pizza, P I E Z A, but we know how he intended it to be pronounced because the species are Pizza Rhea, Pizza Pie, and Pizza Cake. The wordplay doesn't end with puns. You can find anagrams like Rabolimus mirabilis, rhymes like Cadusa medusa, and something that's not quite a palindrome, it's the name spelled forward and then backward, Orizabus subazero. Subazero? Is that a Mortal Kombat reference? Doubly clever. Scientists aren't just stuffy old men in thick glasses and lab coats poring over dry datasets. They're people, with interests and hobbies outside of work. Sometimes these cross over. When arachnologist Peter Yeager discovered a new species of spider in Malaysia covered in flamboyant red, orange, and yellow hairs, he could think of no better name for it than Heteropoda David Bowie. A frog, two types of flies, and an isopod found near Zanzibar have been named after Freddie Mercury. A species of horsefly with a conspicuously colored hind end is named Scoptia beyonciae. Likewise, a mustache-shaped pattern on a Cameroonian spider earned it the name Pachinatha Zappa, after absolute legend Frank Zappa. A nearly microscopic parasitic crustacean was named Nathia Marliae for being as uniquely Caribbean as Bob Marley. Sinulpheus pink floydi, a pistol shrimp, is louder than a rock concert at over 200 decibels, 
simply by snapping one of its claws shut. The gall wasps have left the building, at least if they are of the variety Presiocolia I'm all shook up is. A fossilized mussel worm was named for rocker, author, spoken word artist, and my future husband, Henry Rollins. The wasp Melanocumum neuropastarchus honors the band Metallica with the species neuropastarchus, which is Greek for master of puppets, alluding to the weak and mindless nature of the hosts. Do you find it hard to sleep at night? Then the Calm Cove podcast can help you sleep deeply all night long. Calm Cove has deeply relaxing meditation music and ambient sounds, like ocean waves and crackling fires. All of our episodes are designed to help you relax and to fall asleep fast. Calm Cove is brought to you by the team behind Sleep Cove, the sleep podcast that consists of spoken word hypnosis, meditation and stories. So if you want to listen to a beautiful soundscape tonight, search for Calm Cove on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and see how we're helping millions of people relax and go to sleep every night. Have you ever wondered what really happened to Amelia Earhart or the lost colony of Roanoke? Do you ever find yourself scouring the internet for vicious Victorians and their murders by gaslight? Or perhaps you're just sick and tired of women being constantly misrepresented or plain lied about throughout history? If so, join me, Katie Charlwood, history harlot and reader of books on Who Did What Now? The history podcast that's not your history class part of the Area of Media Network. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Adios, au revoir, au revoir to zen, my friends. Bye-bye. I'll be seeing you. Actors get naming nods, too. Dominic Monaghan has a one-centimeter ginger spider named for him, Sentus Monaghani after it was discovered during filming of the nature documentary Wild Things. After shamelessly begging on national television, his words, to have something named after him, late-night talk show host and satirist Stephen Colbert became namesake to a dune-dwelling spider in Southern California, Apostitious Stephen Colberti. A fluffy lemur on the island of Madagascar shares its name with fierce creature and python John Cleese, Avi Clisier. The hosts of Top Gear each have a wasp in the genus Caravata named for them, Clarksoni, Hammondy, and James Mayi. Former First Lady of Argentina and well-traveled corpse Eva Perón has a moth named after her whose scientific name is simply Evita. Prince Albert I of Monaco is namesake to both a fish and a squid. A single genus of fish honors Bill Clinton, Al Gore, Jimmy Carter, and Teddy Roosevelt. The neck plate of a leaf-dwelling Madagascan praying mantis, Illumantis Ginsburgiae, is part of the reason it is named for Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, the other reason being that it is the first mantis species with distinct female genitalia, and discoverers Brannock and Svensson wanted to honor Ginsburg's commitment to women's rights and gender equality.
end quote. Sirindorn, second daughter of the monarch of Thailand, commonly referred to as Princess Angel, has been honored with a number of plants, several crustaceans, a butterfly, a bee, and a prehistoric tarsier. Similarly, Barack Obama's name was stamped on several spider species, a few different fish, a blood fluke, bird, lichen, beetle, extinct reptile, horsehair worm, and a bee. He and wife Michelle were duly honored in the naming of the Teleogramma oberama fish. Author Terry Pratchett, whose Discworld series described the world as resting on the back of a giant turtle, a fairly common motif in many world mythologies, is the namesake of the turtle species Fesophorus Terry Pratchetty. Shakespeare has a wasp named after him, while Henry David Thoreau has two. The author of Gulliver's Travels, Jonathan Swift, is the namesake of a fly that is, of course, quite tiny, while Herman Melville's name was given to a whale. Gene Roddenberry has a true bug. Arthur C. Clarke has a dinosaur. Neil Gaiman has a beetle. H.P. Lovecraft has a wasp. A chewing louse that only troubles owls was named Stigophilius Gary Larceny. More from Gary Larson later. An extinct crab was named for Ray Harryhausen, the man who brought stop-motion monsters to life in classic films. J.R.R. Tolkien got a great deal of scientific love, in the form of a beetle, a crustacean, two wasps, and a clam. In addition to the false-headed moth Erechtheus Bibelbroxy, Hitchhiker Guide author Douglas Adams has an ant named for him. But does that make it an Adam ant? I'll see myself out. There's also a triple-finned fish named Fjordithixis slartibartfasti. It should go without saying that there is a great overlap between the lovers of science and the lovers of science fiction and other things geeky. Tolkien appears again with a shark named for Gollum, a cycloptic shark named for Sauron, an ancient croc named Balrogus, and an entire genus of, of cordylid lizards named Smog. A tiny armored catfish from South America was christened Otakinclus batmani. There are no yet credible reports as to whether or not it fights crime at night. Harry Potter fans will want to steer clear of the Ampulex dementor wasp, which turns cockroaches into zombies. Science has given us Spongiforma squarepantsy, but it's not a sponge, it's a highly porous mushroom. A trilobite that reminded the discoverer of the faces of the two old curmudgeons in the Muppet Theater was dubbed Geragnostus waldorf-statlery. A newly discovered genus of wasp has each of its species named for a different house in Game of Thrones. Lelius Erini, Barathini, Lannisteri, Martelli, Targaryeni, Tully-E, and Starkey. You'll have to be both a geek and a nerd to get the joke in the name of Eucrita melanolimnites, which roughly translates from the Latin as creature from the Black Lagoon. There is a disputed genus of pterosaur named after the Pokemon Aerodactyl, called Aerodactylus. Maybe they didn't want it named after a Pokemon, maybe they just wanted the discoverer to put a little more effort into it. A species of acorn worm in the North Atlantic Ocean, which I assume has strange syntax, is named Yoda purpurata. There's a non-sporm-forming gram-negative bacteria called Midichloria. Yes, it's named after the thing from the bad Star Wars movies. 
While scientists gave a name to cartoonist Gary Larson, they also borrowed one from him. A 1982 Far Side cartoon showed a caveman leading a lecture on the danger of dinosaurs, pointing to a slide of a stegosaurus's spiked tail and saying, Now this end is called the Thagomizer, after the late Thag Simmons. The term became an informal but widely used anatomical term, being used by even the Smithsonian and the BBC. And no, we don't care that humans and stegosauruses lived 60 million years apart. Speaking of honors, I am deeply honored by our newest patrons, Dawn and Gwen, who are helping to support the show and will receive the first of this month's bonus episodes today or tomorrow, you know, when I can get it recorded. Everyone who supports the show over at patreon.com slash yourbrainonfacts receives all rewards, regardless of their level, until the end of the COVID crisis. I am also grateful for everyone who has not only purchased and read the Your Brain on Facts book, but has taken the time to review it on Amazon, thus pleasing the algorithm and encouraging it to show the book to other people. We're up to nine reviews, but I want to see if we can get more than 50 by next summer, so keep them coming. Yeah, I'm not going to harp on that one too much more till we get closer. This week's review comes from Trisha. I carry this book with me wherever I go. I happily stumbled upon the Your Brain on Facts podcast about a year ago, and I fell head over heels in love with it. Moxie's way with words, her soothing voice, and that awesome brain overflowing with knowledge can make the most mundane topic, for example, a whole episode on mud, exciting to learn about. As soon as she shared her secret project, this fantastic book, I knew she would once again amaze me, teach me, and entertain me. She totally delivered. I was so happy to see a few of my favorite episode topics. Physician Test Thyself, Surprise Polyglot, and Read a Rainbow. This book, as the tagline perfectly states, is about things you didn't know, things you thought you knew, and things you never knew you never knew. And you won't want to keep it to yourself either. I keep stopping to share cool facts with anyone that will listen. Thank you, Moxie Labouche, for creating this wonderful world of knowledge. I am blushing myself to death over here, Trisha. Thank you so, so much. And yeah, Physician Test Thyself is one of my favorite topics, too, along with well-traveled corpses. And if you're anything like me, you like to throw the bizarre and macabre facts like that into a normal conversation, like a vuvuzela in a chamber ensemble. As any lover of sci-fi will tell you, scientists don't always use their powers for good. A number of species are scuttling around the Earth with clapbacks, insults, and general misanthropy for names. Daniel Rodelander was a student of Carl Linnaeus, who collected thousands of specimens in Suriname, but refused to turn them over to Linnaeus, intending to publish for himself. Linnaeus effectively had him blacklisted, and named a seed bug Aphanus Rolandri. Aphanus is Greek for ignoble or obscure. Two Swedish paleontologists, Elsa Warburg, a Jew, and Orver Eisberg, an overweight far-right socialist, were on unfriendly terms in the 1930s. Warburg, named a trilobite, Isbergia planifrons. Planifrons means with a flat forehead, which in Scandinavian means stupid. Isberg retaliated later with the mollusk Warburgia crassa, crassa meaning fat. Paleontologists Cope and Marsh were in a fossil hunting war in the late 1800s, 
Marsh named an extinct aquatic lizard Mosasaurus copianus, the ending spelled A-U-N-S, which means, scientifically, pertaining to, but is probably not what would leap to the average person's mind. In 1985, James Pockelock cast a wide net when he named, wait for it, a beetle, genus Foadia, F-O-A-D, an abbreviation meaning F-off and die. The scientific name for a prehistoric mammal, Dinoheus hollandi, translates to Holland is a terrible pig. Not the place Holland, but the director of the Carnegie Museum, W.J. Holland. He was an eminent zoologist and paleontologist, and a bit of a blowhard and apparently quite difficult to work with. The staff and his students just hated him. He had a bad habit of stealing credit for his students' work, and that's why he is immortalized as a giant pig. In the modern era, it's not uncommon for scientific institutions to sell or raffle off the naming rights of newly discovered animals, especially environmental groups and conservation organizations who are chronically underfunded. This was the case in Madidi National Park in Bolivia. In an effort to raise money, they auctioned off the right to name a new species of monkey. The internet casino company GoldenPalace.com won, as they always do when naming rights are on the line. And they went with the groundbreaking and creative name GoldenPalace.com. Well, in their defense, it is translated into Latin, Calisibus aurea palati, and they did fork over $650,000 for the privilege. This is the same organization that spent $28,000 on a half-eaten sandwich that supposedly looked like the Virgin Mary. So, you know, you gotta take things on balance. Some scientific names are off the cuff, some are private jokes, and some have a really interesting origin story. Paleontologist Tim Rich was searching Australia for dinosaur-era mammals, which were thin on the ground, or thin in the ground, I guess. His students were convinced they would find one, and they bet him a cubic meter of chocolate. I guess they had suffered through the rations on the trip long enough. Well, they found one, and Rich had to make good on his bet. Now, a cubic meter of chocolate would cost about $10,000, but a local Cadbury factory bailed Rich out and rewarded the students with a room full of chocolates and sweets. They named the newly discovered fossil Cryorictes Cadbury-E. Sometimes scientists plain run out of ideas. When one scientist reached his ninth species of leafhopper, he named it Erythronia Ix, I-X, or nine in Roman numerals. Dr. W.D. Kierfoot found so many species of oleithrid moth that he eventually resorted to just using the alphabet. Eucosma bobana, Eucosma cocana, Eucosma dodana, Eucosma fofana, and so on. And that's where we run out of ideas, at least for today. I'll wrap up this slightly shorter-than-usual episode with a scientific name that has no clever pun, no interesting backstory, no insults hidden in it, but it is the longest scientific name at 42 characters, and I shall attempt to pronounce it for you right now. Any minute now. Okay, let's try it. Parastracio Sifficomia Stratio Sfeco Myoides. 
you're welcome. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and stay safe. Let Mysteries at Midnight be your destination for detective whodunits and captivating mystery stories. You'll hear classic stories like Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie's Poirot, and short tales from H.G. Wells, Charles Dickens, Edgar Allan Poe, and others. I'm Christopher, and I read these classic stories in the soothing style of a bedtime story, so you can listen to them in bed when you drift off to sleep. Search for Mysteries at Midnight on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app, and follow and subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes.